When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, everybody. Eric Bischoff here. And have you heard about Strictly Business? Strictly Business is a brand new weekly series exclusively on adfreeshows.com. Join me and my co-host, John Alba. Every Tuesday, as we take a deep dive into the business of the professional wrestling business, and this is some straight-up business talk here, no fanboy nonsense. We discuss television contracts, advertising, licensing, and, of course, the highly debated ratings. So if you want an unfiltered, brutally honest, anti-fanboy understanding of the professional wrestling industry... Well, Strictly Business is the series for you. And hey, if Elon Musk likes my tweets, and he did, you're going to love Strictly Business. Sign up now and listen at adfreeshows.com. Do you love wrestling podcasts but hate all the ads? Well, you can get all the great podcasts early and ad-free at adfreeshows.com. It only starts at nine bucks a month, but you get exclusive series at adfreeshows.com like Title Chase, Eric Fires Back, Conversations with Conrad, and tons more, and a chance to interact with your favorite podcast hosts every month. See for yourself why thousands of other wrestling fans say adfreeshows.com is the best value in wrestling. Adfreeshows.com. If you could change one thing about your home, what would it be? A new kitchen, a new master bath, maybe put in a pool. What if you could do it with no money out of pocket and cheaper monthly payments? Savewithconrad.com can help, and you can even skip your next two house payments. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender, savewithconrad.com. Hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to 83 Weeks with Eric Bischoff. Eric, what's going on, man? How are you? Doing all right, man. 67 and two days now. Can you believe it? Where does the time go, man? I can't. I can't believe it. I feel like I'm 25 in my head, but I'm clearly not. And it's just as I sit back, you know, because I guess that I'm really grateful. I've, I've, you know, 
I'm blessed with great health and I feel great physically and mentally. But man, you just go back, you know, and I, was, I saw so much video this week, you know, on social media, especially this weekend, you know, Scott Hall showing up, you know, in Nitro back on May 27th, 1996. And, and it, when I see that video, I, it just seems like it happened a week ago. It doesn't seem like it was 25 years ago or 26 years ago. It's just, it, it's mind boggling. Time is such a tricky bitch. It's, uh, it's pretty cool to think about the idea that the Scott Hall invasion on Nitro happened on your birthday. Isn't that awesome? I know. So, and I didn't even, well, I, I've talked about it. It's not like I didn't know about it. Obviously we've discussed it many times, but somebody, had, and I think you responded to it too. Somebody on social media said, you know, said, Hey, isn't it kind of cool? Eric Bischoff woke up one morning on his birthday and said, hey, I think I'm going to change the wrestling world or something to that effect. Referencing Scott Hall. And I never thought about it like that, but I mean, it's one of those things like if I only knew then what I know now, how cool, how much cooler. It was already a cool moment. How much cooler would that have been? You know, if you just had that ability to see into the future, but Hey, I'm just grateful for, I'm just grateful to be sitting here talking about it, man. It's awesome. It is awesome. And we're glad you're with us. Uh, congrats on another trip around the sun. And we're going to be talking about a couple of trips for a guy. We both think a lot of, uh, but boy, it didn't always look like, um, his career path was always mutually aligned with, with your vision at different times, Mr. Lex Luger. And we're going to talk about his 95 to 97. And of course we can't talk about the historic moments on nitro without talking about his big historic moment. But before we do, I want to mention the reason we're talking about flexi Lexi today, he's going to turn 64 on June 2nd. So how about that? You guys are like a week apart on your birthdays. Ah, I didn't know that his birthday was coming up. Happy early birthday, Lex. Absolutely. Go follow him on Twitter. If you haven't already, what a, what a bright spot on everyone's timeline. It's at genuine Lex Luger. And, uh, he and I both hope to see you at the end of, uh, July in Nashville. He'll be there as a part of Starcast five and part of the horseman reunion panel. And of course, meet and greets and, but let's jump into 1995. We've talked a little bit about your experience with Lex before he returned to WCW and, you guys weren't exactly best of friends and you had heard maybe some less than awesome things, but it's been said over the years that Lex's return in 1995, uh, was really a pivot point for you and sting. Uh, as the story goes, sting had been campaigning, if you will, for you to at least talk to Lex. Do you remember sting pushing you to, to at least have a conversation with Lex in 95? Oh, definitely. Uh, I mean, I, you know, I don't know if pushing is the right word. I mean, he was advocating for sure, but he wasn't overly aggressive about it. He was very, he was persistent, but he was positive and really wanted me to just have an open mind. You know, if he pushed for anything, it was pushing the idea that I really didn't know Lex, the real Lex Luger, that he, that, that Lex was, ready, willing, and able to prove, you know, that he was a team player. I mean, Sting knew, he, he knew of Lex's reputation, you know, pr prior to going to WWE and then returning ultimately. Um, 
but Sting knew him better than anybody. I mean, they were very, very close. They were business partners and Sting worked really hard because Sting and I had a really good relationship. We were very friendly. Um, we used to ride Harleys together occasionally and I'd go visit him at his home and, and uh, we just had a good relationship and Sting was very persistent and, and ultimately very successful. And I'm grateful for it because had he not been, I would have missed an amazing opportunity and, and the ability to work with really a changed man that contributed a ton to WCW. We discussed in detail that first Monday Nitro where Lex returned as a surprise. I think most folks still thought he was under contract to the WWF since he had literally just wrestled on a house show the night before and even had TV taped with him appearing in it in future episodes, or at least that was the plan. Be sure to check out our, our, our debut Nitro episode in the archives, but let's talk about Lex, the person here. How do you remember in that night? Was he nervous, anxious, excited, or just another day at the office? Do you think? Oh, no, 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 no. I think, I think he was very excited, but he was, he was very controlled. You know, I think one of the things, a characteristic about Lex, uh, in many respects, he was very highly disciplined. You don't, you don't get into the kind of physical shape that Lex got himself into competitively, you know, and he, and he played, played football, you know, all, all of the things that Lex did prior to breaking into wrestling were all things that take a significant amount of discipline. You know, if you look at the bodybuilding and, and, and how he built his, his body, you know, you don't get that way simply by pushing iron and, and taking a shortcut or two along the way. That's all part. That was part of it. I'm sure. But the bigger part of it was the discipline yeah. that it took day in and day out and watching every gram of food you put in your mouth to make sure that it was what it needed to be, when it needed to be, all that requires, easy for me to say, a tremendous amount of discipline. And I think Lex brought that discipline with him his first night. He was definitely excited, definitely excited, but he was also definitely under control. He was a real pro. You know, that's something that I think a lot of people, uh, don't talk about enough is that the, the, the way he was able to look for as long as he was able to look while living on the road, like, you know, you and I have talked about before, Hey man, it's easy to sort of get in your routine or easier to get in your routine at home of this is what I do. And this is where I do it. And, you know, not just diet and exercise, but every piece of it. And then when you're living out of a suitcase and making towns and nothing's really open or nothing's easy. And it had to be a full-time job to look like Lex Luger, right? Oh my gosh. I can't imagine it. You know, I, I just can't imagine it. And again, let's go back, you know, in today's, you know, environment, you know, we've got a great sponsor on the show. I'm sure we're going to talk about athletic greens and their product AG one, which I love by the way, we'll get into that later. I'm sure. But there are so many, there are so many products out there now and there's so much more knowledge about nutrition now than there even was back then. And it's easier today than it would have been back in the eighties and the nineties. Mm -hmm. But even today being on the road is so hard. If you're really trying to control your diet, whether you're a bodybuilder or just somebody that wants to remain healthy because healthy food, balanced food, balanced nutrition is not readily available, especially when you're, Driving to the airport, jumping on a plane, taking a train, going to the hotel, working, coming back, rinse, repeat. 
you don't get a lot of time in between to seek out, you know, the, the kind of stuff that you want, you know, for, for a meal or for nutrition. So doing it on the road, the way these guys did it, man, I can't, it's tough. I can't drive by a Chick-fil-A without stopping and pounding down a couple chicken sandwiches. No matter how hard I try, when I drive by that Chick-fil-A, I just go, oh, the car turns itself. <laughs> <laughs> well, you brought it up. It feels like uh, just as good a time as any. Uh, AG1 from Athletic Greens. I know this is something that you and Mrs. B were rocking before they were even a sponsor here on the show. What is it about Athletic Greens and, and AG1 that appeals to you so much? Well, I mean, I, I won't speak to all the nutritional benefits because I'm not an expert in that, but it is such a complete list of nutrients. It's just hard to get. Even if you're not on the road, it's just hard to get. And and, and for people that really believe in the the benefits of, you know, fruits and vegetables and how important they are to your diet, which we obviously do, um, it's hard to get it. And, And with AG1, I get it every morning. So first thing that I do is get up and have my, cause you really, to really get the benefit from it, you kind of want to do it on an empty stomach because it's more easy for more easily disseminated metabolized uh, in your body. If there's no other food in there with you or with it. So I, it's the first thing I do every morning before coffee. Imagine that I'm pounding my AG one before I pound my first cup of coffee. That's how much I believe in that product. And what makes it so easy for, for Mrs. B and I is that it tastes great. I mean, I've had some supplements that I know they're great for me, but I just, ah, I'll get it down eventually, but I don't look forward to it. AG1 is such a complete nutritional product, but it tastes great. And it makes it easy. You know, it's like getting up and having a glass of springtime every morning. I dig it. So here's the deal. If you don't have time, if you want uh, better gut health, maybe you want more energy, maybe you want to optimize your immune system, maybe you hate taking pills or vitamins, and maybe you just want to have a supplement that actually tastes great or just see what all the hype is about. We recommend AG1 from Athletic Greens. Now, what is this stuff? Well, with one delicious scoop of AG1, you're absorbing like 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole foods, super-sourced foods, probiotics and adaptogens. It's all going to help you start your day. Right. Uh, this is a special blend of ingredients. That's going to support your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, your focus, your recovery, your aging, all the things you've heard, uh, Eric's testimony. He and Mrs. B absolutely love it. I think you're going to dig it too, because it's, it's lifestyle friendly, whether you're trying to eat keto or paleo or vegan or dairy free or gluten free. This contains less than one gram of sugar. There's no GMOs. There's no nasty chemicals or artificial anything, and it still tastes good, but it's going to support better sleep quality and recovery. It's going to support better mental clarity and alertness. I also want to mention it's going to cost you less than three bucks a day. You're investing in your health and that's well, even cheaper than your cold brew habit It's cheaper than all the different supplements that you're probably taking right now. You're investing in an all in one nutritional insurance here. And it's one Eric and I believe in. Don't take our word for it. Athletic Greens has more than 7,000 five-star reviews. So check it out. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop in a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. 
And to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you one free year supply of immune supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash 83 weeks. Again, that's athleticgreens.com forward slash 83 weeks to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. That's athleticgreens.com forward slash 83 weeks. Looking for a great mother's day or father's day gift idea. I was, and I found it at paint your life with paint your life. You'll get a hand painted portrait created to fit almost any budget. And it's a great gift idea for your mother, your father, or both. You say paint your life transforms your photos into a one of a kind, beautiful hand painted portrait created by professional artists. You upload anything you can imagine. You can even combine photos. You'll pick the artist, the medium. You can even customize the frame. And you can receive your painting in as little as two weeks. You can give the most meaningful gift you've ever given at paintyourlife.com. And there's no risk. If you don't love the final painting, your money's refunded, guaranteed. And right now is a limited time offer. Get 20% off your painting. That's right, 20% off and free shipping. To get this special offer, just text the word WEEKS to 87204. That's WEEKS to 87204. Text WEEKS to 87204. Paint your life. Celebrate the moments that matter most. Message and data rates may apply. See paintyourlife.com slash terms for details. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. So let's talk about when you're talking to Lex Luger here, um, about coming back and, and, and why nitro is the white, the right time and right place. Can you give us some context to how he felt about, you know, leaving in the middle of the night and the big debut like this? I know some guys are worried about burning a bridge on their way out. Was that something that was heavily discussed here or was that water under the bridge and we're just moving forward now? No, we were just moving forward. I think Lex saw, you know, the impact that that surprise appearance was going to have, you know, if you're going to bring somebody back, what better way to bring somebody back in, in a, in a shocking, unexpected moment, not promoted, not advertised, not speculated on. Of course, we didn't really have the internet back then. So that made that part easy, but um, still we, we were able to keep it extremely, extremely quiet. Only a handful of people knew, and those people were very good at keeping secrets. Thank goodness. But Lex knew that, and if there were any reservations, maybe he had them, I don't know, but he, he certainly didn't express them. And I didn't sense it either, because sometimes you could just tell. You know, somebody's nodding their head yes, but deep down inside they're going, oh, I don't know about this. This might not be the best idea. But I didn't get that sense from Lex. I, he was he was fully committed uh, from the get-go, and, and enthusiastically so. Luger, of course, shows up in the aisle during the Flair and Sting uh, match on the very first Nitro. And then at the end of the show, he's going to challenge the WCW world champion Hulk Hogan to set up a title match for the second Nitro in Miami. As a reminder, this first Nitro is an episode where Raw was preempted, so there was no competition. It was just a Nitro. Uh, But they want to go ahead and set it up. Man, Hogan, Luger, now that is something we can go head-to-head with Raw, right? It definitely made a statement, didn't it? And, yeah. And 
I, I don't mean to put you on the spot, but do you know the rating for this episode of Nitro? So this one unopposed. Uh, Nitro did a two point five rating against uh, Raw. Did a two point two. So the first time it's out, it wins. Amazing. I mean, not 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 that we beat them because they were preempted from their regular time slot, right? Well, the, the first week, you know, they weren't there at all. You know, it was it was just you guys. The first ever right, time so that, you guys on that were, first are, on that first episode where we were unopposed. You know that number? Yeah, I can look it up. I'm sorry to do this, but it's kind of like framing the story. Um, it what two, was it? it was two point five. You, you got a two point five. We got a two point five, and I think typically on WCW Saturday Night at the time we were probably hovering in the one point sixes, one point sevens. I'm, I'm sure somebody will correct me. I'm sure I'll get blasted in social media and people will point it out to me and that's fine. Um, but what a perfect setup, right? To, to go, you're going to launch a show to go head to head with a number one uh, program in your genre, but we get to do it on a night when they're taking the day off. Mm-hmm. So, you know, with the, the hype and everything, at least you're going to get a good sampling, right? That's the most you can hope for in a situation like that. And I don't think the circumstances for nitro could have been any better than they were on that particular premiere. So you've got a great sample size. You know, you're going to get, you're pretty confident. You're going to get that, that audience. And the first impression means everything, right? You know, that if you, if you check the boxes that needed to be checked in terms of what the wrestling audience was looking for and what, you know, what they would get excited about. And if you can check as many of those boxes as you possibly can, the odds of the following week are going to be in your favor, or at least you're going to be competitive. That was the thought going in and it, it proved to be true. It worked perfect setup. You could not have asked for a better situation for nitro or for Lex Luger for that matter. The observer would say Hogan beat Luger to keep the title by DQ in 528. With the added weight, Luger looked even more clumsy than usual, and it was bad. Made worse because of all the hype going in with Bischoff calling it the match of the century. With all the talk about Luger, it was shocking just how not over he was live. They traded a few no-sell spots with Hogan in the babyface role, although the crowd was kind of split and flat for a Hogan match. The finish would see Hogan do the same Superman comeback, complete with the leg drop with the inept heels all attacking Hogan for the DQ. So at least he gave the impression he was going to beat Luger Hogan, Savage and Sting then destroyed the heels in all of 30 seconds, making me want to see the war games really bad while Luger did nothing, still selling the devastating leg drop. Savage got mad at Luger for not helping while Sting defended Luger and wanted him in the war games team in a badly acted skit where it appeared the fans couldn't have cared less. Hogan asked Luger where he was coming from and Luger said he'd agreed to be on the team provided that Hogan gave him the title rematch. He had promised Vader. So you're sort of cycling Vader out and Luger in. We've talked about that before with the Vader thing, but what did you think of the, the execution here? So we've got the contract. We've got the anticipation. Uh, we got the surprise. We got the match in the ring. Were you pleased with Lex's work or is this just Dave? Maybe being Dave. Well, it's a lot of Dave being Dave. Dave's a very negative guy when it came to WCW and anything associated with it. He's just, he's been an anti-Hogan, you know, 
voice in the dirt sheet universe from for as long as I can remember. So it was just Dave being Dave. But as far as the execution, technically in the ring, it was what it was. Nobody expected Lex Luger to come back and be able to have Kurt Angle level matches. You know, Lex, Lex was a character. Lex was a a larger-than-life kind of aspirational, from a physical point of view, because he was a heel uh, for a lot of the time, uh, character. He wasn't there to go out and have, you know, an Eddie Guerrero-style match. So I, I, he, it all exceeded my expectations. The, my most important consideration was the story. How does it fit into the story? Does it continue to build? Does it does it help sustain our momentum? That was a really important part of it. And in, by that standard, it, it exceeded my expectations. It might not have satisfied those like Dave who want to see every match be a, you know, four or five star, highly technical exhibition. Um, but in terms of a story and how it helped continue to build our momentum, it exceeded my expectations. Talk to me a little bit about, you know, Hogan and his comfort level with Luger. You've laid it out pretty clearly before that the, the dungeon of doom, as much as you hated it was really what Kevin Sullivan turned to, to just create a heel factory of guys that maybe Hulk was comfortable with and, Mm -hmm. and that flair played a big role in that. But I don't think he spent a lot of time with Lex. I know that their time in the WWF overlapped a bit, uh, but but not a ton. Is this something where Hulk was already comfortable and familiar with Lex, or because he had, had gotten comfortable with Sting and Flair at this point, that wasn't really an issue? It wasn't an issue. You know, I don't know why he Hulk um, was so open minded towards Lex so quickly. Um, I wasn't still not sure that they had really had much of a relationship professionally or otherwise, as you pointed out, I, I just think that he, Hulk sensed that this would be good business. Um, I don't know. I'd have, I'd have to ask Hulk that question, but I, I know that there was no issue at all. He felt perfectly comfortable uh, laying out a story with, with Lex and was looking forward to it. Well, there are going to be some issues when it comes to uh, the contract situation here. Meltzer would say the Lex Luger jump became an even more intriguing situation this past week when we received word that contrary to the reports here and elsewhere, the claims of WCW management. Well, the WWF is claiming Luger has a valid contract through January 6, 1996. Luger had claimed all along he's wrestling with Titan for the past few months without a contract and was therefore free to make a jump at any point. Apparently Luger, according to sources within WCW, is now claiming that Titan has put white out on his original contract and filled in a a new later date in order to make this claim and that the contract had long since expired. No lawsuits been filed by the WWF in regards to the jump, but we are being told that the situation's in the hands of the lawyers. So chat me up about this. Do you remember hearing, well, no, they say that he's still there, but he says he's not. And then Luger says they used whiteout. This is the first time I remember hearing of whiteout in a wrestling contract context. Yeah. I, I mean, I vaguely remember a, a, I won't even call it a speed bump. It was a speed blip. That's such a term. Uh, but it was insignificant. It was meaningless. And clearly if, 
WWE would have had any legal claim that would have been even remotely um, in force or could be interpreted as being a part of his agreement, they would have they would have put up a much bigger fight. They got caught with their pants down. They were asleep at the wheel. That's all. And they may have made uh, a statement or two or p- perhaps said something to Lex's uh, legal team, whatever, um, threatening, but nothing came of it. We were 100% confident we were clear, and nobody on our side used any whiteout or any of that. That's nonsense. It's silly, silly. So, uh, Meltzer would say, according to WWF sources, Luger's window to give notice would have ended on October 6th, 1995, but that is immaterial because he had exercised his option to not have his contract renewed months before that date. As Ben had reported elsewhere during the same spring, he gave notice and he wanted a guaranteed money deal and or a guaranteed specific spot in the pecking order. Of course that doesn't happen, but Meltzer would remind us that the first year he worked for Vince, he was on a guaranteed money deal because that's how badly Vince wanted him to come over. But of course, Vince couldn't even have him wrestle because he still had that pesky WCW deal. So Vince put him on the WBF, but it is interesting that Luger was controversial in leaving WCW and going to the WWF and in coming back. So for a guy that a lot of folks were, were maybe critical of sure is a lot of hoopla around this guy when he's coming or leaving, right? Controversy creates cash, right? Lex. Yeah. Come on. He, it was, I mean, look, it was well played, you know, by Lex and, and Lex was, Lex is, and certainly was back then. He's a very, very smart guy when it came to business. Um, so yeah, it was controversial and obviously it worked for him as controversy often does. There are reports that Luger uh, gave his notice and, and actually told Vince that he was leaving. Uh, Meltzer says the WBF tells a different story. Quote, the claim is that after Luger and WCW reached their verbal deal on August 31st, Luger called McMahon up the next day, but never told him about any of the negotiations or informed him of anything. Luger continued to work the Canadian house shows through Sunday night before he showed up at the Monday nitro show in Minneapolis. Luger never called McMahon after eight 31. And as of this past weekend still hasn't called, um, this is not something we hear about a lot these days, boy, this past weekend, everybody was uh, a buzz about what's MJF doing, but is there a, a, an Eric Bischoff rule of thumb about the right way to leave? Does that exist for you? Well, I think you just have to be honest, you know, um, with yourself first and foremost. Yeah. And I think you have to be honest with your soon to be previous employer. Now, that's a basic rule of thumb. I I always believe just transparency and honesty is, although sometimes really uncomfortable and messy, ultimately is the best approach. Um, But circumstances don't always allow that. And I I mean, if, if I were Lex back then, I certainly would have made the call after my appearance. And it would have been an ugly phone call and it would have been uncomfortable as hell. But if it were me, if I were in Lex's shoes at that moment, I have to know that at least I followed up. And if I have to apologize, I'll apologize for making the decision that I thought was best for me and my family, although it may have been unprofessional. 
in certain in certain respects. I would at least apologize for it, as opposed to leaving it hanging there like bad fruit. So, yeah, I mean, if you can be honest, just be honest, be straightforward. But some acknowledging that sometimes it's just not possible because of the circumstances. At the very least, call up and explain why you did what you did. And then if the person on the other end, if they accept it, great. If they don't, that's unfortunate, but that's great too. At least you've been honest with yourself and you've maintained as much integrity as you could in the situation. Well, Luger is right away a tweener and no one really knows. Is he a baby face or is he a heel in hindsight? Is that the best way to debut a character, Eric, or should we have that clearly defined up front? I know once upon a time in the nineties, it became all about shades of gray but I don't think that you really believe that that's the way to do it. So talk me through this decision to have Luger sort of a tweener character, if you will. I don't think, I don't think the decision was to make him a tweener. You know, and it wasn't like an intentional plan. We didn't sit down and discuss it. And go, okay. Well, we don't really want people to think he's a baby face. We don't really want, we didn't have that conversation. Right. I think this is probably going to be a horseshit thing for me to say about myself, but we just didn't have a plan. Here was the plan. Bring him in, have the shock value is what I was looking for. That's what was the most important thing to me at the time was bringing Lex in keeping it absolutely quiet, knowing the circumstances, knowing that the entire audience presumed just like Bruce Pritchard and Vince McMahon and Pat Patterson did that, you know, Lex Luger was still under contract, taking advantage and embracing that moment because that defined Nitro. And I knew that going in. I had a roadmap for Nitro, especially the premiere episode. I had the, the boxes that I knew I needed to check on that particular episode. And a lot of it was just based on the research that we did. I talk a lot about research and, and how much I believe in it when it's good research and it's interpreted properly. Um, and I knew that surprising the audience was the most important thing for that night. So all of the discussions about Lex and how we were going to use him were really focused on the short term, not on the long term, not even in the midterm. It was more like, let's check that box. It'll set the tone for Nitro. And it did, you know, for the rest of Nitro's existence, really. Um, and we'll figure it out as we go. That's really what it was. No doubt about it. I mean, it definitely set the tone. Um, I am curious though, you know, cause you've often told us, uh, about Sarsa and I know how big a deal surprise is to that. And with all the research and, and I'm totally down, but I am wondering when I asked the question about a tweener, you said, well, we really didn't have a plan when I've talked to Bruce before he's laid out that a lot of times when you're trying to put together a show or a promotion like this, that you sometimes make a list of your heels and you make a list of your baby faces and you just try to think about what matchups that allows. Did you not do that in this era or is that something? Oh, no, 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 no. Look, we knew, we knew which side of the fence Lex was going to be on. We knew he was going to be a WCW guy, right? Eventually we, we, we of course this is pre NWO. So the NWO idea hadn't even occurred to me at, at that point, but we knew he was ultimately going to be a baby face. A, 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 yeah. That was the thought going in, but it wasn't like a, it wasn't like a concrete plan. It, it just wasn't. I wasn't sure how the audience was going to re react to Lex. 
You know, and I think that's it's one of the things, John Elba and I talked about it uh, last week on Strictly Business over at AdFree Shows, is the importance of touring as it relates to television and how how important touring is in the overall television product. And one of the reasons that I think touring is, is so important is it gives you the opportunity and it gives the talent of the opportunity to really define the relationship between the talent and the audience. I Meaning you got to read the, you got to read your audience just because you got three or four people sitting in a room with pencils and coming up with ideas. Doesn't mean that the audience is going to react to your ideas the same way that you think they will based on history or experience or whatever. And when I say, Oh, we knew he was going to be a baby face. I say that with about 65 or 70% confidence uh, because the immediate stories would have been revolving him and staying on the same side of the fence and, you know, building a story from there, eventually maybe turning him, you know, whatever. But the initial thought was, no, he's, he's going to be on the baby face side, but there was no plan. There was, there was no arc. There was, you couldn't have opened up a notebook and gone to 90 days ahead and said, okay, where are we going to be in October of 95 with Lex Luger? That, that wasn't there. For me, it was, let's get him in. Let's use him for this shocking moment. Let's get him out in front of the crowd and let's see how the crowd reacts to him. I mean, that makes sense to me. You know, I just wanted to ask because I didn't know since we talked about Sting being a big advocate, was this something where. You know, Sting's like, hey, I, I want to work with this guy again, you know, across no, from him. No, there was no, him, there was no discussion that. about, no, there was not. There wasn't that. It, it really was from Sting's perspective and, and what I was most concerned with is, is this guy a team player or is he the, the guy that I remember? And I want to make it clear too, you know, I never had any heat with Lex prior to him leaving and going to, to WWE. There was never any tension. It was none of that, but I, you know, cause again, I was like a potted plant in the room. I got to, see, it was a fly on the wall, easier way to say it. I got to you know, see how things operated and see how people conducted themselves from a perspective that was non-threatening to anybody. Nobody was concerned about my opinion or how I react to something. I was a third string C squad announcer that people reacted with and were professional with, but nobody was concerned. You know, they didn't look at me like I was a stooge. I wasn't an office guy, but I wasn't one of the boys either. I was just there. And I, I remember observing Lex as being the kind of guy that he, he carried himself in a very arrogant way. It doesn't mean he was really arrogant, but that's the way he carried himself. That was the impression. If you didn't know him, if you never met him before and you saw him walk into a room, um, and not just because he looked the way he looked, but this is the way he carried himself. Uh, you would be impressed with him as somebody who's very, very, very full of himself. The, the narcissist character was probably a very natural idea for WWE with regard to Lex. But as time went on and I saw the way he just interacted with others uh, that were not tight with him, not the Steiner brothers, not staying, you know, not certain people because he was very close to those guys, but just, the general staff, um, he was like a dark cloud. You know, it's like you walk out of your house and you're hoping for a really bright sunny day and you want to go for a motorcycle ride or ride your bicycle, whatever you want to do, take your dog for a walk. And you open up the door and there's this kind of dark cloud there. And it just changes the temperature in the room. 
no lightning, no thunder, no freaky backstage, you know, antics or anything like that, but just a dark cloud. And that's what I was most concerned with because one of the bigger issues, aside from the pressure of launching a new show in prime time, head to head against the WWE, which in and of itself was a daunting challenge. But along with that, that I, I, I was equally concerned about was the morale in the locker room because prior to, you know, Watts getting fired, morale was horrible. We always hear about, you know, reports about backstage morale and whatever. And it's, you know, it's important, you know, you, it's a creative environment. You know, you, you need people to be as positive as they can be and open-minded as they can be and working together. And if you've got people that are kind of defensive and worrying about their jobs and carrying around a bunch of excess heat and baggage, it makes for a difficult world. And we had started to overcome that. We were coming out of that Bill Watts era and morale was starting to really improve a lot. It was fun. Nitro was fun. And, and we knew it was going to be even more fun. And in the, in the weeks leading up to Nitro, there was just such a positive vibe. And my concern was not so much about Lex's performance, but my concern was I just didn't want that big black cloud showing up again because it took everything down. It just took, the, it took everything down. The energy just changed, and, and I didn't want that. And all of the discussions that I had with Sting were, were about him being a team player and not being the guy that it, that – his reputation led so much of us to believe was true uh, and giving him that chance. It was all about giving him a second chance, but there was no conversations, not one about, you know, who he was going to work with and how. Well, I'll tell you what you need to be working with, especially if you're a guy like Eric Bischoff, Z biotics, boys and girls. This is something that Eric and I were so excited to try. <laughs> I recently tried Z biotics about two weeks ago. As instructed, I drank a bottle of Z-Biotics before I consumed any alcohol before me and the missus were going to go have a few drinks. And guys, I was amazed at how good I felt the next day. Every time I have a Z-Biotics before drinking, it makes such a difference the next day. Uh, I know I'm going to be able to wake up and do this podcast early with Eric Bischoff. Uh, this has been an absolute game changer for us. Uh, and I want to explain why. Zbiotics pre-alcohol probiotic is the world's first genetically engineered probiotic. It was invented by PhD scientists to tackle those rough mornings after drinking. Here's how it works. When you drink alcohol gets converted into a toxic byproduct in the gut. It's this byproduct, not dehydration. That's to blame for you feeling rough the next day. And Zbiotics produces an enzyme to break down this byproduct. Think about that. Only Zbiotics can break down this enzyme. It's designed to work like your liver, but it's in your gut where you need it most. So just remember to drink Zbiotics before drinking alcohol. Drink responsibly and get a good night's sleep to feel your best tomorrow. Give Zbiotics a try for yourself. Go to zbiotics.com forward slash 83 weeks to get 15% off your first order when you use 83 weeks at checkout. Zbiotics is backed with a 100% money back guarantee. So if you're unsatisfied for any reason, they'll refund your money. No questions asked. I also want to mention the 4th of July is right around the corner. So <laughs> order a pack of Zbiotics for you and your friends today to make sure you get it in time. Remember to head over to zbiotics.com slash 83 weeks and use the code 83 weeks at checkout 
for 15% off. We thank you Zbionics for sponsoring today's episode and my last excursion. And and here's the deal guys. We all know what we're trying to avoid. Uh, and we all know why we quit drinking. And I'm not saying that if you're a, a heavy drinker, boy, this is the answer for you. But I am saying, I think some of us th- still think occasionally, oh, I can do it. Like I'm 25 again. And the next day we're like, whoa, maybe not. Uh, <laughs> I got a lot of work to do today and this ain't a winning combination. Z-Biotics is for guys like me and you. Isn't that right, Eric? Oh, uh, it is. And I just tried it. Um, I, I know my, um, sample arrived about 10 days ago, two weeks ago, and I held off, uh, mostly because I was traveling and, and, and whatnot and knew I wasn't going to be doing a lot of drinking necessarily had to go to Minnesota for a funeral service and things like that. But, um, I didn't bring it with me when you and I went to Oshkosh. Um, should have probably, but I, I knew Memorial day weekend. Cause my birthday was Friday. And I knew that Mrs. B and I were going to go out and have a cocktail or two. And I wasn't sure on Friday, if you and I were going to be recording on Saturday or Sunday, now you got so much going on with Starcast and everything. And I didn't want to bug you. I figured, nope, he'll, he'll tag me when he's ready and, and I'll be available because I'm pretty flexible on the weekends. But anyway, fast forward. So Friday night, <clears throat> Mrs. B, she worked her, she worked her little ass off. <clears throat> All day Friday, she was under a lot of pressure, all positive stuff and fun stuff, but it was just like back to back to back to back phone calls and working with bankers and getting information, another phone call, another, anyway. So by the end of the day, she looked at me, it was about 530. She looked at me and goes, Eric, I know it's your birthday and we were going to grill some Omaha steaks tonight, but I just don't have it in me. Let's go out. Well, here's what happens when Mrs. B says, let's go out. Um, I'm going to have a few. Because Mrs. B, she's she's a one drink, one glass of wine, maybe two, never more than two, um, kind of gal. And so I've got a designated driver. What does that mean for me on my birthday? I'm going to pound a few beers. And I did. And I knew that. So I, try, I said, this is the time to try it. So I, like you, took my, uh, my prescribed potion. And, oh, my goodness, I woke up in the morning. Not sure if yet, if you and I were still going to do a podcast, but I woke up and I went, holy smokes. If Conrad calls me and says, we're ready to go at 7 a.m., I'm going to be ready to go at 7 a.m. And that's usually not the case. You know, I can tell now, it used to be, like you said, you know, you're 25 years old. I used to be able to drink six, eight, 10 beers or more, get up the next morning and run six miles. In fact, I did that on a fairly regular basis in the summertime. But now two or three beers takes the edge off for me. Two or three beers, four beers for me, um, I can feel that. I'm groggy. I'm thick-headed. I just don't feel the way I want it because the mornings are really important to me. But Z-Biotics you know, takes care of that, man. I woke up Saturday morning. Feel, I was waiting for you to call me. I'm sitting out here in front of my computer waiting for the little ding to go off, knowing we were ready to record. So love the product. Really give it a try. I think you'll be very happy you did. If you want to keep your edge after a night of fun, definitely give it a try. We recommend it. And, uh, I think you're going to see why try it one time and, uh, tell us what you think, man. I think you're going to love it. It's zbiotics.com forward slash 83 weeks. Use that promo code 83 weeks at checkout. Let's check out, uh, Lex Luger here. Fall brawl 95. He's going to replace Vader in the war games. Um, during the war games match, they tease a savage and Luger feud. 
That leads to a match on October 2nd on Nitro where Luger defeats Savage. And Luger was saying he would quit WCW if he lost. So I understand that you're a big fan of stakes, but man, we're pretty early into Luger's run for him already to be putting his WCW career on the line. Is he not? Yeah. I'm looking back at that. I don't know that that was a great idea. I mean, I, I know why I did it and you're right. Yeah. we got to create some stakes, but isn't that such a tell, you know, I mean, you just brought the guy in, you know, he's an important part of the company. He's Lex freaking Luger. He just shocked the wrestling world. Oh gosh, I hate that phrase so much. It's so overused, and I've overused it myself. But um that's just like advertising, you know, Luger's gonna go over. And I, I wish I wouldn't have done that. But yeah, it 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 was a little early, a little premature. From there at Halloween Havoc, we end up with Savage defeating Zodiac and Luger defeating Ming. And because of Savage and Luger both winning, they have to wrestle each other later in the night. Savage winds up pinning Luger with a flying elbow in that match after colliding on the apron with an interfering Jimmy Hart. So this is an interesting concept and feud to be putting together here, Eric. Two baby faces fighting for the right to face each other. Uh, later in the show, Luger gets involved in the WCW title match where Hogan is wrestling the giant who died recently uh, and, and now has come back to life and after he fell off the building and either way, uh, he puts Hogan and then Savage in the torture rack with Jimmy Hart turning on Hogan to now align with Luger, which makes almost no sense considering what happened earlier. I mean, while Luger as a heel with the dungeon of doom, and you've talked about how Conan in your opinion, didn't really fit with the dungeon of doom. How in the world did Lex Luger fit in with the dungeon of doom? I don't think he did. I mean, I, th- I think the whole Dungeon of Doom, for whatever the reasons were, and there were reasons, you know. Again, looking back at it now in 2022 and the way the product has changed, and it's just, it was so hokey. But it was still hokey even back then. It was just, you know, it was the 80s hangover is what it really was from a creative point of view. We were still kind of had a little bit of an eighties buzz when we got up in the morning and we're still writing like it was the eighties and it, it was horrible. And no Conan was probably the most miscast person in that carnival crew. Cause that's what it looked like. It looked like something out of a carnival. Um, but Lex was right there with him and it just, it was bad casting. I understand why, but what a bad idea that was. Yeah. Maybe not our best one. Um, it's an interesting dynamic the next few weeks as, as Luger is presented as a heel with Jimmy Hart as his manager, but yeah, he's also still teaming up with sting and tag matches. And they're telling some interesting stories here where it looks like both guys are coming out and celebrating big with the fans and being total baby faces. But the minute Sting isn't watching, Luger just drops all that shit and and is annoyed with the fans. I know that it's a little hokey and a little silly, but it really works. I mean, even looking back, I still like it. It, It's it's classic storytelling, right? Absolutely, absolutely. But it again, classic storytelling, but it's slightly confusing, right? Especially going into it. No, I mean, I like the idea that. The fans know that this guy's not genuine, but do our characters on TV know? 
Uh, on to the first World War III pay-per-view. Luger's going to get a win over Savage this time. Uh, he's got him in an arm bar on Savage to knock him out until Sting saves Savage. And Savage later goes on to win the 60-man three-ring battle royal to become the WCW champ. Did you think that that was a potential money match, Savage and Luger feuding over the world title? Definitely. I mean, yeah. I mean, Randy Savage, you know, at that, you know, Randy had made a tremendous return, you know, to a main event status in WCW. His stock was very, very high. Luger, obviously, we were able to take him, you know, from where what he was as a character when he left WCW, went to WWE, came back, and he came back with with a lot more equity than he left with. So you've got two very, very well known characters. Is what I mean by equity. Two very popular, very well-known characters um, in the main event. Absolutely. Who wouldn't see that as money? I, uh, I just love going back and revisiting this era because it's, it's fun to see WCW right before the NWO and Savage's first title defense is against Luger on Nitro on December 2nd with Luger winning by DQ. This is after there's some interference from Flair, uh, plus Sting and Hogan. They're all involved here. Luger being involved in the top programs here, uh, wasn't about the money aspect, you know, because I think as the rumor has been out there, you only signed him to 150 grand to start, but boy, you're getting your money's worth. If you got him out there with, uh, the flares and the stings and the Hogan's and the savages, right? Yeah. I mean, you certainly could look at it that way, but I didn't think about it like that. I, I really didn't. Uh, I wasn't looking at my return on the investment or any of that. I was looking at, wow, this guy really is a team player. It was more important about, it was more important to me how Lex really was backstage as a business person than what I got out of him, so to speak, as a return on investment inside of the ring. And it's like the more we gave him, the, the, the happier I was with the decision that I made to, to bring him in because I did it reluctantly. I would have never done it had it not been for Sting. That $150,000, I know we've covered this. I'm not going to beat it to death, but that $150,000 contract was my way of saying, okay, I'm going to give this a shot, but I hope he, I hope he turns me down. I was really hoping Lex would have turned me down. So I could have said Sting, like, yeah, I tried, but he didn't. He took the money, and I knew shortly thereafter that, okay, this guy's for real. Everything Sting told me about this guy is right, and, and Sting was completely correct. That's what was important to me, not the ROI I was getting, but certainly I was getting I was getting it right. I mean, the main eventer at that level, we were probably churning and burning some pretty good numbers at that time. I don't know what they were off the top of my head, but I'm guessing we were probably bouncing around in a high twos, low threes by that point. Um, it was all in all, it was just a great situation for everybody, for WCW, for me, for Sting, for Lex, and most importantly for the fans. Luger's going to work twice at Starcade, defeating Kensuke Sasaki as part of the WCW New Japan series. And then he's got a triangle match with himself, Flair, and Sting, where the winner would take on Randy Savage for the WCW title. Man, you're getting your money's worth out of Lex here, double duty here at the pay per view. And then as we start 1996, this whole Luger Sting alliance pays off because they're going to beat Harlem Heat to win the tag straps on a hot nitro from Caesars palace in Las Vegas on January 22nd. And this is where it starts to feel like Luger maybe is drifting away from the dungeon of doom, but well, he's also there when it's convenient. Um, what do you think of, of, of Kevin Sullivan's Lex Luger story here? 
he's sort of hokey pokey with sting and the heels and the baby faces. And this is the definition of a tweener. Is it not? It is. It is. And I don't know, you know, I'd have to talk to Kevin or we, we would both, and it might be fun to sit down and talk to Kevin specifically about this someday, because I, I can't honestly tell you if Kevin's intent was to create that ambiguity in that character, that gray area, um, or if it just kind of happened um, by default. I don't know the answer to that. You know, I, I didn't work with Kevin closely enough to get to be able to tell you sitting here today in 2022 what his intention was. <clears throat> or, like I said, was it just kind of convenient and, and the flexibility allowed for Lex to kind of come in and out of Dungeon of Doom? I don't know the answer to that. Uh, I can tell you now, again, if I would have known then what I know now, I would have probably thrown a flag, you know, because I, I look, I'm all for reading the crowd and trying to get a sense of what the crowd wants that I truly do believe in before I suggest someone create a character and create a storyline without any sense of how the crowd is going to react to it. Just hoping for the best, not a big fan of that, but I'm also not a big fan of not having any direction at all. Um, even if it's just a general direction, go with that until you can figure out something specific. But I think Lex in the you know scenarios that you've been describing was more, well, we need, you know, we need a pop here. Let's bring in Lex for that as opposed to strategy. Well, I want to mention, um, the tag division here feels like it is a, a big priority. And I know that that maybe doesn't make sense, but check this out. Harlem heat sting and Lex, the road warriors, the Steiner brothers, buddy, you got a lot of star power in your tag division here. Do you not? Yeah, we did. And there were times when I did try because we've, you know, we heard from fans, you know, even though the internet wasn't really a thing back then, not the way it is now, obviously didn't have social media and all that, but you know, we we were pretty well aware that there were a, there was a solid fan base that really liked tag team wrestling. Yeah. And we really did give it a shot here and we put a lot of money into it. Um, But I've discussed with you in previous episodes about the economics of it. And you mentioned some great tag teams right there. What were there? Four of them, I think. Yep. Big time. Mentioned, but, and they were, you know, those were stars. Every one of them were, were legitimate big stars at the time, but you run out of ways to mix and match them unless you're continuing to build that division. So you can build more story and have more variety. Uh, you can't just have the same four teams or combinations there of working together all the time. It gets old fast and it gets old and expensive fast, but we did make an attempt. We really did until the economics just made it obvious that it, it wasn't sustainable. Luger's also going to win the WCW TV title from Johnny B bad on March 6th in bad's last match with the company. Of course, we know Johnny B bad is out of here. He's going to go become the wild man, Mark Miro and have an intercontinental title run and introduce the world to Sable. But here as a result of Johnny leaving Lex gets denied Lex is a double champ, not just the tag champ, but the TV champ too. Why was Lex the right guy? It was the right time. It was the right situation. Uh, and it was about building his momentum. You know, he, he had proven to everybody, but not just me. But the people that he worked with, you know, Kevin Sullivan being the most important at that time, because Kevin worked with 
you know, talent much more closely creatively than I did. I was still, I was, I was in the, I was in the room and I, I had a voice, but it wasn't the most consistent or the loudest voice. Kevin's was Kevin really was ahead of creative. Um, Lux had proven to everybody that he was definitely on the team and the circumstances, Merrill giving his notice, leaving and got to get the title off of him. We're building momentum with this guy. He's proven that he really is a team player. I was excited that he was on the team. Why not? It's interesting to think about what was happening to the TV title in that era. You know, just a few years prior to this, it was held by guys like the great Muda and Arn Anderson and Barry Windham and Steve Austin and Ricky Steamboat and Scott Steiner. But after this win, well, we get some interesting choices. Prince Ikea, uh, Disco Inferno, Alex Wright, Perry Saturn, but then, you know, there's, there's moments where it's a big deal. I remember that Chris Benoit Booker T stuff you guys did was fantastic. Uh, Chris Jericho had a run with it, but the TV title, maybe not as important as it once was, uh, during- you know what? And you're right about that. Connor. And as you were saying that I was thinking to myself, why, you know, why, why did I let that happen? You know, why did we treat that world television title the way we did? And I'm not justifying it at all. In fact, I'm just acknowledging that I just didn't think it was that important. Yeah. It was confusing to me. Why do you how? I always go back to why. No matter what the scenario is, it's always okay. Well, why? Why did something bad happen? Why did something good happen? Why did we have a world television title? What purpose was it? Well, it was it was a tool. It, it, it was an achievement, we'll call it that, out of respect for the industry. And it helped to provide some stakes. Okay, I'll get that. But it was also confusing. Why would you have a world television? How does a world television title relate to the World Heavyweight Championship? Now, obviously, the World Heavyweight Championship is more prestigious, but was there any correlation? Is there, it's like if you get a, if you win the world television title, you're automatically guaranteed a shot. At, at the world heavyweight championship, if we would, and probably that was true at some point or had been true off and on throughout its existence, but you were, it was never reinforced. There was never any real value assigned to the world television championship. It was just there. And as such, I think it diluted the world heavyweight championship, meaning you're making something important without putting any real value to, to it. You're not assigning a value to it. It doesn't really represent much. Um, and I think in the process, it actually takes away from the value of the world heavyweight title, unless you define it and it has its purpose and it's a stepping stone to something else. Then I buy into it. And I just don't think we ever under my watch, we ever assigned that value to the world television title. Had we done it, it probably would have been treated differently instead of just, oh, okay, we'll have a world television title match because that sounds cool in a promotion. And that's really what it was. Right. Truth be known, that's what it was. Well, truth be known, uh, we need to uh, to talk about NAD+. And Eric, I know you've been, uh, you and Mrs. B are, are way in the loop on this. And as I turned 40 this last year, I started to pay a little attention. Here's what we're talking about. Basis by Elysium Health is the most trusted source for NAD plus supplementation. Their product basis is clinically proven to increase levels of NAD plus by 40% safely and sustainably. 
Now, Elysium's products target aging at its source. They're unlike any other health company Eric and I have ever seen. They're at the forefront of NAD plus supplementation. Check this out. They have dozens of the world's best scientists. In fact, eight of them are Nobel prize winners, and they've got a ton of research under their belt. Eric and I really trust that NAD plus is found in every single cell of your body. It's responsible for creating energy and regulating hundreds of cell functions and your NAD plus levels. Well, unfortunately they decline as you age things like lack of sleep or intense exercise or an unbalanced diet, even sun overexposure. All these things can deplete your NAD plus levels and decreased NAD plus levels are linked to faster biological aging and can actually slow down vital body functions. Now basis replenishes youthful levels of NAD plus to promote healthy aging, to support cellular energy and metabolism. It's also going to reduce your general tiredness. We're just going to try to keep you feeling good for longer. Many basis customers also report experiencing higher energy and less fatigue and even more satisfying workouts. Uh, here's the thing. I want to recap here what we're talking about. Basis is going to help you re replenish your youthful levels of NAD plus of up to 40%. It's going to activate your longevity genes. That's what we like to call them to promote your healthy aging. It's also going to help you recover from workouts. It's going to reduce your general tiredness and fatigue. It's even going to help you with your skin, but it's also going to support your energy and metabolism on the cellular level. We believe in this. You should too. Go check it out. Go try it for yourself at trybasis.com slash 83 weeks and enter the code 83 weeks to, uh, save 10% off basis prepaid plans, as well as other Elysium health supplements. That's trybasis.com slash 83 weeks and use that code 83 weeks to save 10%. And we'd like to thank Elysium health for sponsoring today's episode. One more time. That's trybasis.com forward slash 83 weeks. So the first early part of 1996, Luger's still very much a tweener, uh, but he's still the tag champ with Sting, but he's also involved with Jimmy Hart in the Dungeon of Doom, including the ill-fated Doomsday Cage match at Uncensored 96. March is uh, a bad month for WCW in this Uncensored era. Luger's going to cost his team the win and thus end the other alliances except for Sting. Is it time for Lex to just you know, pick a side and, 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 and commit one way or another to the story we're telling. Have we gone too far with this tweener act? God, I think so. I mean, it's, I mean, as you lay that out to me and you know, we're kind of looking at a fast forward, you know, journey of Lex from 95 to 97. Absolutely. It was time, mostly time to get him out of that dungeon of doom nonsense, get him away from Jimmy Hart. You know, I just, I, I love Jimmy Hart. Jimmy Hart's one of the nicest guys in the wrestling business, hardest working guy ever met in my life loyal um you can't say enough great things about jimmy hart but too much of jimmy hart or too much of anybody for that matter is not a good thing and jimmy's character was just not right for the time at that point but he was everywhere if if there was a camera jimmy hart was not far far from it he was just everywhere and it was really important to get him away from jimmy and the dungeon of doom it's uh it's an interesting time. And it feels like at this point, Luger has probably outperformed his contract. It's reported in court documents that Luger would eventually earn 445,000 for his contract in 1996. So I'm curious, when did you rip up his deal for a new one? Or did you just sign him to an extension after year one and throw him a big bonus or 
But no, I ripped it. I ripped up. I, I, I look. I knew. I, I, I don't think I said it to anybody. I don't think I said it to Sting or anybody or Lex for sure. I didn't say it to Lex. But in my mind, I thought, okay, if, if everything I'm being told is true, and and Lex really is what I'm being convinced he is in terms of being a team player, I'm going to write him a new contract. I wasn't going to. I wasn't going to stick it to him and you know, hold him to that contract. Uh, when he was performing at a level that I wanted him to perform at and being a part of the team at a level that I wanted him to be a part of the team at. And once it was apparent that it was, I tore the contract up, didn't exist, wrote him a new one. It's uh, it's such a good story to, cause you never hear that. Um, and I'm sure there's some folks in wrestling right now who wish their current contract would get torn up and they get more money. Uh, during the summer, Luger gets a title shot versus the giant at the great American bash on June 16th. Could you picture Luger as a top baby face or top three in the company? I mean, clearly at this point in June, Hogan's at the top of the list, then sting, but three, is that going to be savage? Is that going to be Luger? Where did you think in your mind's eye, he, he stacked up here. I would have put him at number four. If I had to make a list Yeah. You know, looking back, I mean, even look, even then, you know, savage was so important to the company. And I know this sounds, you know, carnivorous in a way, but, you know, Savage brought that Slim Jim deal with him. And that Slim Jim deal was a very, very valuable piece of business for WCW, not only because of the, you know, the 750 grand that it represented to the bottom line. Clearly that was important. The fact that it offset Randy's salary or by that time, most of it, I guess. But it was the fact that we were able to have that long-term relationship with an in-program sponsor, not an advertiser that pumps up and part of a three-minute commercial rotation. I'm talking about somebody that was integrated into the show, you know, with turnbuckles, ring mats, whatever. Um, so by virtue of the business that Randy brought in, in addition to his equity as a performer and what he contributed as a character, Randy was in a solid number three spot, maybe number two in some respects, but Lex was right in the hunt, man. He was number four for sure. He and sting are going to lose the tag titles on June 24th on nitro to Harlem heat. It's a three-way match that also has the Steiners, but what really does the trick is they're distracted by Hall and Nash who show up at ringside with baseball bats. Uh, and ideally when you have Hogan joining the NWO, Locked into your mind, the three minute the bash at the beach, Luger, Sting, and Savage. I mean, that's a pretty big vote of confidence for Luger, is it not? I mean, I know that we just said he's the number four babyface, and we know that Hogan's got the big plan, but that's about as stacked of a deck as you can get for WCW, Luger, Sting, and Savage, right? That sure is, isn't it? Wow. And to be able to go back and experience that one more time live would have been awesome. Yeah. You, it, you, you, you don't get those moments. Although Ric Flair is going to have his moment, obviously, and we're all going to get to relive a bunch of of great times and reflect back on those, you know, with Flair's involvement in association with Jim Crockett Productions and, and promotions. So it's going to be fun, and that's a situation where you do get to kind of go back and sort of live it again. But, man, I would love to go back and, and relive just about five minutes of this 1996 era. It would be so, you know, it, I, I, I'm most disappointed as I grow up and get older. All those movies we watched as kids are full of shit, Eric. Time travel is not going to be real. It's not going to happen. Nope. But if it did happen, 
man, how cool would it be for all of us listening to this to go back to bash at the beach and just stand in the crowd just one time and, and feel that, or for you a second time. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, yeah, it would, because I'd, I'd appreciate, I mean, I appreciated it that just like I appreciate everything we're talking about here. I mean, to be able to go back at this point in my life and look at the good, the bad, and the ugly, all that stuff, but just kind of get a sense of it and see things. Sometimes, you know, people send me video that I've not seen before. You and I review a pay-per-view or a nitro or whatever that I forgot all about, even though I was there. It's just, it's kind of a way of reliving it, but it's not quite the same thing. Luger, of course, is a part of team WCW versus the outsiders at bash at the beach. He's taken out early in the match, uh, leaving sting and Randy Savage to go the rest of the match on their own. And I think that moment is kind of underrated, you know, when you think about it, because just to add context, they never revealed who the third man was these outsiders. And they just show up by themselves and then three opponents come out. So they start the match three on two. And then when Luger gets stretchered out and Hulk comes down, if Luger didn't get stretchered out, I think everybody would say, maybe not everybody, but a lot of folks would say, well, it's not going to be four on two. Oh my gosh. Hulk Hogan is with the outsiders because now the, the sides are evened up at three and three. But when Luger leaves, we already know that it's supposed to be three guys defending WCW. And if one guy went down, now it's plausible that Hogan is coming to replace Lex Luger and save the day for WCW. But without Lex being stretched out, that dynamic doesn't exist, right, Eric? Absolutely. And the thing that you said there, one word that I think really defines the scene that you just laid out was plausible. Yes. Plausibility made it believable the, that plausibility and the way it was executed hats off to Kevin Sullivan and, and Hulk and everybody that was involved in it because I wasn't okay. I didn't have my fingers on any of that finish. Um, I was just watching it go down. I knew what I, I knew what it was, the end was going to be and my fingers on that. But in terms of the way it was executed and the details that we saw on television, I had nothing to do with that. And it was so perfectly done. But the most important aspect of it was the plausibility. It that plausibility allowed the audience to suspend their disbelief, stop thinking about what's going to happen, and just react emotionally to what was happening. Because you can't think and feel very well at the same time. You're doing one or the other generally. And that plausibility allowed the audience to quit thinking only feel. And that's where the reaction came from. It's great stuff, man. We're going to talk about it forever and ever. Um, but I love that little wrinkle of having Luger being taken out here. Uh, what sets up next though, is Luger and sting losing to the outsiders at Hogwild in August. And we're really starting to kick this WCW versus NWO war into high gear. Um, how important is Lex being over as a baby face as you're preparing to turn sting into the crow? I mean, that's another element that we don't really talk about a lot, but Luger's the guy who is sting's best friend. And when he has doubt that we're going to be talking about that sets the stage, right? That was the catalyst that, that was the re here's another thing, you know, one of the common things for me, at least in the way I like to watch wrestling is there's got to be a why to whatever, whatever 
big incident, whatever emotional moment, whatever turning point in a story occurs, for me personally, if I understand why somebody did what they did, it's a lot easier for me to buy into the story, to feel it, instead of think about it. Um, and I think Lex Luger doubting his friend, questioning Sting's integrity. That's really what we're talking about here. Yeah. Questioning Sting's integrity. That's a that's a pretty devastating blow to a friendship. You know, if if I had a, a very, very close friend, almost like a brother, and all of a sudden I had to question that person's integrity because I didn't fully understand what was going on around him or the situation. I could understand why that would hurt somebody's feelings to the point of just fuck you. You know, if you don't know me well enough by now, after all that we've been through, talking about sting and Lex at this point, creatively, that would be the catalyst for sting to go. Fuck it. Things are getting out of This is not my WCW anymore and distance himself from it. And that was the story. Who else would have been better to set the stage for that story or provide that why for Sting's character to go out to begin the journey that the Crow Sting was about to go on? There has to be, and, you know, traditional storytelling or literature about storytelling, it's called an inciting moment. It's usually the thing that starts a journey, that one thing, that one why that begins a journey. Who else better than Lex Luger at that point in time to create that inciting moment that allowed Sting in a plausible way, believable way for the audience to begin that Crow journey. Nobody. Lord Steven Regal defeats Luger uh, for the TV title uh, August 20th in Dalton, Georgia. That's on WCW Saturday night. It's thanks in large part to interference from the outsiders. And uh, I don't know, man, I feel pretty good about Lord Steven Regal being the TV champ here, but. I don't know about that Prince Ikea thing. Uh, Sting and Lex, Lex Luger. <laughs> Let it go. You, 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 you're as hard. You, you've got as much of a thing for Ikea as I do for Meltzer. At some point, we both just have to let it go. Fair enough. Uh, Luger not, and Sting. I won't. <laughs> I knew that was true. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's do as I say, not as I do. Uh, Sting and Luger form an alliance with Flair and Anderson from the Horsemen, and they're going to put their differences aside for the good of WCW. To take down the NWO in war games at fall brawl 96 and Eric, you and I haven't ever talked about this before. I don't think, uh, but it's me flipping through the channels in August of 1996 and seeing Hulk Hogan wearing black and me thinking, wait a minute, is Hulk Hogan a bad guy that set the hook. And I was watching wrestling again in this pay-per-view, uh, war games in September of 1996 or fall brawl in 96. This is my first pay-per-view back as a fan. Really? And I had, I had stopped watching in 1992 and just put it down and, oh, that's for kids. And you know, I think a lot of kids might sort of grew out of it, but the mm-hmm. idea that Hulk Hogan was a bad guy. Oh, well, I got to see this. And I had been not watching wrestling. So I didn't know who diesel and razor Ramon were. I remembered the diamond stud. Uh, I remembered, uh, Vinny Vegas, but I had no foggy idea who diesel and razor Ramon. I wasn't watching then. So I just knew Hulk Hogan's a bad guy. 
And I want to see war games here with this new exciting angle. And of course the NWO is going to claim that sting had joined them. And I think this is some brilliant storytelling on WCW's part. Of course, it's just a ruse because they're trying to create some tension within WCW. So they have a fake NWO sting and that leads to sting and Luger sort of breaking up and sting essentially walking out on WCW, but him proving that that attack in the parking lot was not really him and decimating the NWO in the cage match, but then just walking out like, Hey, you didn't believe me. So piss on you was great storytelling. Uh, and I think Luger was a huge part of that because you know, the, the, the horseman had jumped sting over and over and over, but we knew as fans, well, these guys have a gym together and they're best friends and they've been friends forever. And if Luger says that it was sting, it, it had to be sting. This is good stuff, dude. It really was. It, it was great storytelling. It was a great team effort, by the way. It, it wasn't just one person. It was that collaboration <clears throat> that is so magical when it happens. You know, it, it, it doesn't always happen or happen consistently enough, but there was that point in time in 96 where it was all hands on deck and all hands wanted to be there. And everybody was looking for a way to produce the best story and the best product. It was a magical time. Um, but I want to go back to what you said. If you, when you open this up about where you were as a fan, you know, you dropped out in 92 and a lot of that has to do with your age, right? How old yeah. were you in 92? Yeah. Probably 16. Uh, I, I was, uh, uh, 92. I turned 11. Oh, okay. All right. That's a little early to be dropping out, but usually that occurs in, the early to mid teens, once, you know, driver's licenses happen and social life starts to become a bigger deal and you get to expand your horizons and your dating or whatever, just life takes over, you know, yeah. and then generally after a while, people will come back. So it's, it's not unusual to see kind of the life cycle of a fandom peak and valley over time. And people end up coming back for whatever reason. But in your case, uh, for whatever reason you dropped out, maybe you were just bored with the product, whatever. The fact that you saw something that made you go, whoa, wait a minute, you know, that brought you back into it. Well, guess what, Conrad? You were not alone. That's right. There were a lot of people across the country that had dropped out of watching wrestling. And I, and, and I heard the conversations within Turner Broadcasting. There was a lot of conversations, um, senior management above me, suggesting that wrestling was just dead that it hit its peak in the eighties and now time has moved on and the audience is never going to come back. It's one of the reasons I get vocal when I hear people say things like, you know, there's no such thing as a lapse fan. Forget about them. They're not coming back. I don't believe that. And I lived it. I proved it. We proved it. I didn't prove it by myself. We proved it. Sting proved it in this scenario that if you, if you provide something compelling enough, that wrestling fan in all of us, whether we were, 10 year or 11 years old when we dropped out or 17 years old when we dropped out or 25. If you provide something compelling enough, they will come back. They really will. And you're proof of it. And so it was about four and a half or 5 million other people across the country all kind of came back in and around the same time. So Luger's also going to be wrestling Arn Anderson at Halloween havoc in October. Uh, that winds up being Arn's last pay-per-view match. 
Uh, I know it seems a bit like a redundant question, but it's important to continue to bring up the hesitancy of you bringing Lex back at this point. We're just over a year with him back pretty flawlessly handled relationship so far. You think? Oh, definitely. I mean, I can't think of one thing during that period of time that gave me pause to reconsider. I think maybe I, I jumped the gun with Lex. No, no, none. I mean, just everything. You know, I, I described earlier how I, my impression of Lex when I was, you know, a backup announcer and he would walk into the venue to be or in the interview room where I was working. It'll be like, Oh gosh, he's here. Oh, I got to work with him. Oh, okay. I uh, will get through this. I mean, that was it right now. Fast forward to 1996 and into 1997. It was, I was looking forward to working with Lex. I was looking forward to talking to Lex. I was looking forward to sitting around after the show and, and discussing what we did or what we could do next week with Lex. It was just such a change in him on a personal level. And he wasn't, he wasn't sucking up to me. He wasn't making any extra effort with me. Cause I just like I was as a third string announcer, I observe people and, and I, I care a lot more about what people do than what they say, especially if they're saying it to me. And when I saw Lex, he went from being that dark cloud to just being a, a positive vibe around everybody, not just me. So no, everything, it could not have gone better. I couldn't have been happier with the decision than I was at that point in time. So then we get something kind of interesting, uh, Luger versus an NWO Hulk Hogan in a singles match. The first time we do it is a dark match after nitro on November 11th. God, I don't and- remember this. This is a journey. Thank you, Conrad. This is fun. So, so St. Petersburg, Florida is what gets it. And I'm just wondering, are you trying this out? Babyface Lex versus heel Hulk. Just to remind everybody, the match you're thinking about happened at nitro 100 in August of 97, but this is November of 96. And we're at least trying it out. What, what was the thinking here? Let's just see what happens. I don't even remember brother. So I can't tell you, I can't, I, I, I'd be bullshitting you and in, in the audience. If I said, I vaguely remember this because I don't. But I will say this. I'm just taking a flyer on this one. I don't think it was anything other than a gimmick. There wasn't any, nobody in November of 96 was thinking about August of 97. No, no, no. That I can promise you. And I really don't think there was much of a thought at that time of Lex and, and Hogan in that respect. So I, I think it was just, hey, I got a crazy idea. It's a house show. Let's do this. Yeah, see how this works. It's probably the beginning and the end of it right there. Well, let's, uh, let's see how super speciosa works. You know, Eric, you and I have uh, been talking about super speciosa a while here, uh, specifically because man, as long as I've known you, you have loved you some Kratom and Kratom has been a big part of our routine here, at least on your side to just prep for the show. Uh, let me explain first what Kratom is, and then I'll let Eric talk about how strongly he feels about it. I have to admit, I didn't really know about Kratom until I heard it, I heard about it from Eric, but it's an all natural, ancient super leaf related to the coffee plant. It's been used in Thailand for centuries. Kratom helps you energize your mind and relax your body. And a lot of people say, quote, it just helps you feel good. Of course, they're saying that without feeling impaired. Super speciosa only has one ingredient, pure Kratom leaf. 
All of Super Speciosa's batches come with certified lab reports, so you know exactly what you're getting. Super Speciosa offers Kratom powder, capsules, tablets, and teas. And this has been a home run in my household when, when we were looking for an extra boost of energy in the morning. Maybe we're looking to wind down and relax after work. Megan even uses it as a pre-workout. And I've heard Big Booty Judy, friend of the show, uses it in post-workout. But why does Kratom work for you, Eric? I use it. For, I use it this morning. You know, my routine is first thing I get up, it's AG one. Then I'm into my coffee. Right. But about, and I time it 45 minutes before the show starts. You know, we knew exactly what time for me, it was going to be 8am Sunday morning. Um, we we're going to, we we're going to do the show at about 10 after seven. I'm mixing my Kratom tea man, and I use it almost every day. And for me, it's as much as I love my coffee and probably drink a little too much of it because the coffee will give you the jitters. It does you know, affect you that way. I use Kratom for clarity of thought because it really, really is beneficial for me in that respect and for energy, but it's, it's a sustained kind of it's a very sustained long-term energy for me. Co- coffee will make me crash. You know, I can drink a couple cups of coffee. I'll be up for about half an hour, 45 minutes, be f- all fired up, full of energy. And then I'm not. And I'm either going to keep pounding coffee, which is not really good for you, or I'm going to find an alternative. And Kratom for me is an alternative. And it's a, I, I can have my Kratom tea in the morning, and it gets me through probably mid afternoon before I even start thinking about, you know, whether I'm slowing down or not. I, I love it. And it, and it does provide for me a sense of well being. And I don't really understand why, but it does. It just makes my day a better damn day. It's that simple, really. Well, for beginners, we recommend capsules or teas because they're easy to use and we recommend the green strains. So they are the most popular. We also want to mention we got a hundred percent satisfaction or your money back guarantee. So why not try Kratom now and get 20% off, go to get forward slash 83 weeks and get 20% off with promo code 83 weeks. That's get forward slash 83 weeks and use promo code 83 weeks for 20% off. And one, one more thing about the product superleaf uh, superleaf.com is, and I've tried different types of Kratom. You know, I was buying it here locally before we were fortunate enough to have a great sponsor. Um, and some of it is pretty nasty tasting. Some of it is hard to get down. Not the case here. Super leaf. It's really, really good. It's just like the AG one in a way it's really easy to get down. You don't have to fight it. So can't recommend it highly enough. Really check it out. Get superleaf.com forward slash 83 weeks and use that promo code. 83 weeks. So Luger gets to the final three of the second world war. Uh, it's a 60 man battle Royal. The giant's going to wind up winning, eliminating Luger and Nash as Nash was up in the torture rack. Um, the giant, for those of you who are unsure of where we're at in the timeline is a heel with the NWO, but this of course is going to lead to his baby face turn because he wants a world title shot that he's earned and he wants it sold out. Uh, meanwhile, Luger wrestles the giant at Starcade 96 and he actually beats the giant. It's only the giant's second pinfall loss. The first coming to the hands of Hulk Hogan for the belt at uh, Hogwild. 
but Lex gets the win after using a baseball bat that was left in the ring for him by sting. Just to recap, the giant is still kind of with the NWO, but we're flirting because he's won a title shot and Willie or Wony. And then here's Lex Luger and he's had his, his back turned on him by his friend sting, but sting shows up to hand him that bat. And because the bat was used, I guess it kind of protects the giant against another pinfall loss. This is pretty well done as far as, uh, having a creative finish, telling a story and, and advancing to the next week. Right. Really was, as you lay it out there, you know, certainly I didn't remember it, um, in great detail, but as you laid that thing out there, how could that have been better? Really? So Luger's final match of 1996, his, uh, December 30th on nitro here in Knoxville, Tennessee against Greg Valentine. This definitely shows that you guys were trying anything and everything here. Greg Valentine's not a name that most of us would even think about in WCW in this era, but here he is working with Lex Luger. Yeah. I'm not sure. Not sure why I thought that made sense. A lot of respect for, for Greg, but Greg, Greg was certainly on the downside of his career by that point. You know, he, he but he was still a name. You know, yeah, he got absolutely. that reaction. Greg, tremendous amount of credibility, you know, in terms of his relationship with the audience. He'd been around for a long time, especially in the southeastern part of the United States. Um, in, in addition to his role in WWE for a long time. But I don't think anybody considered Greg Valentine a real contender at that point. So next up, we've got, uh, 1997 and we've, we've talked about that year a lot here on 83 weeks, but to remind you, the giant's going to leave the NWO form an alliance with Luger. They're going to beat the outsiders for the tag titles at uh, super Bowl in February, but they're stripped the next day and they give the titles back to the outsiders at this point before you we'll call it February of 97. Did you have in mind, Hey, we could do a big Luger Hogan pay-per-view at some point, or are you still just maybe just look booking month to month? Oh, I'm trying to reflect back on that. I, I, I can't honestly say that we had that idea in mind at that point. It more likely we were booking month to month because that was working for us. Yeah, it was. I mean, it just, I'm going to try real hard not to be repetitive here, but the, the opportunity to do that live show, keep in mind, this is the first time I'd ever experienced live weekly television um, and learning how beneficial that was in terms of the audience. It's like the best research you could ever do, right? Every week you get to go out there and, try something and see how that audience reacts to it and decide whether you want to advance it or, you know, change, change, change gears. And we were embracing that as best we could. And not only did we have the opportunity to go out there and do it live in front of the crowd, we had the opportunity to get back to the hotel bar and watch it on television after we did it. That's like game film day, you know, in the NFL, we were able to, and, and a lot of us did. It wasn't just hanging out the bars and drinking beer and getting stupid. It was sit down, have some beers together, watch the show, and let that show help inform us what we were going to do in the, the following week or in the next couple of weeks. And that really was the the pattern and the commitment to 
timetables. Now there were some big tentpole events that yes, we worked towards, but for the most part, it was month to month booking because we were embracing the opportunity that we had in front of us every Monday night. Let's uh, let's talk about uncensored 97. It happens in March with team NWO versus team Piper and team WCW. Now team WCW is Luger, the giant and Scott Steiner. So Luger was one on four versus the NWO, but manages to eliminate Savage Nash and hall before finally getting defeated by Hogan with sting out of action being the crow. It's kind of hard to deny that Luger might be the number one baby face in the company, at least as far as in the ring at this point. Right. Yeah. And I think the audience wanted him to be, that's another thing that's fun about the art of telling stories and wrestling is the challenge of convincing the audience to want what you want them to want. And I know that sounds really simple, right? It sounds basic. Well, of course that's true. It's if you're running a restaurant, you know, you want your customers to want what you're selling and what you're preparing and what's great on your menu. And it's no different than wrestling, but it's a lot harder, you know, in, I think in wrestling in any form of entertainment to, to create the, anticipation or the desire, whatever you want to call it in the audience and just make them want a, a, a talent to reach a certain level. It, that's, I think that's magic when you can, you can do that as opposed to making a decision that this person is going to be in this position and hoping that the audience catches up to it. There's a difference and the audience wanted Lex Luger to be in that role because of the story with sting and sting walking away from Lex because Lex doubted him. They wanted that relationship to come back together. They wanted Lex to rise. They wanted to follow Lex and have him be the ultimate WCW hero that would convince sting to come back. That was the magic in that story. It was in making the audience want it for Lex more than Lex wanted it for himself. Man, that's the best way to say it. So let's talk about what's next here. We got spring stampede 97. What an interesting matchup. This was Luger would defeat the giant Booker T and Stevie Ray in a four way. That's right. Stevie Ray and Booker T were in a four way here for the number one contender for the WCW title. We all remember Hulk Hogan. We coming for you. Uh, was, uh, was there a plan for the Luger Hogan match? Was it supposed to be before road wild? Uh, it, did the Rodman deal sort of delay that I'm just trying to map out. Like it feels as if we're doing a number one contender thing here in April and Luger really is the number one baby face. Maybe there was a plan that it's going to wind up being the July pay-per-view or the June pay-per-view. It doesn't happen until August. And that makes me ask. Is that because of the Rodman opportunity? Absolutely. Okay. That because that opportunity came together very quickly. It wasn't like, you know, there was a six month negotiation and we kind of saw it coming and we were ready for it when it happened. That one literally came from out of the blue and we wanted to take advantage of it to the best we could. So it changed a lot of things. So we've got the, the whole show uh, June 9th in Boston. We're going to be covering this one next week, but it's a big nitro Luger winds up defeating Hogan with the torture rack in a non-title match. How were Lex and Luger getting along behind the scenes? We know that at different times, Hogan was uh, challenging to get along with for guys like Kevin Nash or what have you, but 
Lex and Hulk, they were pretty tight. I wouldn't say they were tight, but certainly there was no issue at all. I see. I don't think I ever saw them hang out together. Even, you know, when we were all out together after a show, for example, and we're all staying at the same hotel, we're all watching Nitro, the replay together. Um, I, I never really saw Lex hanging out with Hogan. And, and to be honest about it, Lex was not one of the guys that hung out a lot socially. You know, he'd, he'd show up at the bar after the show or at the hotel and, you know, have a cocktail or two or a beer or two, and then he was he, he was gone. Um, but to answer your question, I think they got along fine. I, I don't think there was any baggage or any tension of any kind or distrust in any way. So when the opportunity came along, I, I think Hulkos is probably as big of an advocate for it as anybody. This is um, such a fun time to go visit and, and think about because Patch at the Beach in July has Luger in the giant on one side, Hulk Hogan and Dennis Rodman on the other side. And I think most people think about Dennis Rodman's involvement here in WCW. And they usually go to bash at the beach the next year where, you know, it was Carl Malone and Dennis Rodman and DDP was in the match, but here Dennis is, you know, he showed up in, in March on pay-per-view, but now he's working a match here. This is a big vote of confidence for all the other guys in the ring. I mean, this is a guy having his very first match in front of a very big audience, a paying audience, by the way. So you got Hulk Hogan, the giant and Lex Luger who independently are probably not setting the world record for five-star matches, but now they've got to really camouflage a straight up green guy who's very athletic, but no real wrestling experience, big vote of confidence to have Lex in this one, right? It was a big vote of confidence. It, it was a security, you know, opportunity too. I mean, having those guys in the ring, as you know, you put it, pointed out, it's camouflage, and that happens all the time when you bring people who are not necessarily trained professionals into the ring. Now that's changed over the years. You know, we saw it with Bad Bunny. Um, I think the celebrity participation in in professional wrestling now was you saw it with Shaq and AEW with Cody Rhodes when that happened. I was there that night uh, and watched that from uh, behind the, behind the curtain. Um, that's changed. But back in the day, as we're talking about here, yeah, the idea was you bring a celebrity in, you give them as much training as you possibly could give them and you make sure that they're not overexposed and you don't rely too heavily on, you know, their execution of physicality in the ring. Here's what was different with, with Dennis, everybody, was so comfortable with Dennis and what he could do because he did it so damn well. He was freaky in the sense that you could, and I, and I watched, you know, I did, obviously I wasn't in the ring with him for all the, all the right reasons, but I watched it. I watched him train. And what was really strange to me was watching somebody show him something one time. And, you know, Dennis would, you know, kind of look like he was not even paying attention. Dennis is an interesting cat. You know, he's, he's very, very, very smart. And he was very, very committed to what he was about to do. But on the surface, you would think he just does not give a shit. Right. He just, it's almost like he was half asleep when he should have been really paying attention. And then say, okay, Dennis, step in, walk through it, see how you feel. Oh, he smokes. <laughs> first time out and not that he was perfect, 
but it's damn close and close enough that everybody, wow, we're going to get a lot more out of this guy than, than we thought. But in the meantime, you put that talent around him and in a worst case scenario, you know, they're going to be able to call him in the ring and cover what they have to cover to, to get out of it and make it look good without doing any harm. Uh, so we got double, we got a double, you know, sense of security going into it, knowing that Dennis was more than capable of doing what he was asked and at a very high level in a way that wouldn't embarrass himself or, or the company or anybody else in the ring. And you had some you know great experience and talent in the ring that surrounded him. I find it interesting that Hogan gets all this criticism for, you know, Oh, he, he never lost and he always invoked creative control. Well, here he is at this pay-per-view once again, submitting to the torture rack. Um, August 4th, the palace of Auburn Hills. We're in Michigan here. It's the 100th episode of nitro. It's the first ever three hour episode of nitro. And you know, what's coming Luger defeats Hulk Hogan to win the WCW world title with the torture rack. And what a great celebration after the match with all the WCW wrestlers coming out. We covered this whole show in the archives and just what a moment it was. I want you to go back and check it out. But the reaction like this and everything that goes along with it, boy, Sting is looking pretty smart for being an advocate here. What a moment this was in Nitro history. It was. And not only did Lex have such an important impact on the very first Nitro, here we are at what was it, episode 100? Yes, this is episode 100. Episode 100. So 100 episodes later, the guy, this is such a fascinating, talk about a journey. Think about this. Here's a guy left the company. Nobody really liked him except for sting. Um, and maybe the Steiner brothers. He, he just wasn't a well-loved guy. Nobody shed a tear when Lex Luger left, especially people that, you know, outside of the locker room goes off, comes back under a contract that I was hoping he would tear up and throw in my face, but instead takes it over delivers in every measurable way one can over deliver as a, a professional, as a human being, as a team member over delivers in every category to the point that here he is in the hundredth episode beating Hulk Hogan. That's a pretty cool story, both behind the scenes and obviously in front of the camera. Very, very cool. Never thought of it like that. The celebration ends kind of quickly though. Five days later at road wild Hogan would defeat Luger to win the title back. I don't know, man. Do you think, do you think in hindsight, we did this too quickly or was this always just, uh, you know, get people talking and, and let's get back on track for sting. I mean, it does feel like you could have had a, a baby face Lex Luger take on a bunch of members of the NWO and still maybe try to find a way to get there, but. It's a five-day story here for Lex instead. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm disappointed in that. Left so much on the table. It was definitely too quick. It was a poor decision uh, on on everybody's part, including and mostly mine. It's, I, I greenlit that shit, <laughs> so there's no other way to look at it. And and it could be justified. And I know what the, I know what the thinking was. Then the thinking was, Oh, it'd be so much heat because people want Lex to be the champion. We knew it was going to get heat and it did, but maybe the wrong kind of heat, you know, and maybe not, but for sure what we did is left so much great opportunity on the table. So much great storytelling on the table. There was no rush. What's the rush. 
there's no deadline. Yeah. There's no expiration date on this shit. It's all about, you know, what can we as a team at that time do to make the most of it? And rather than really thinking about it from that perspective, we rushed. We took yeah. the easy way out because we knew it would work. Why put any more into it than is necessary? I, I mean, that wasn't a conscious thought, but that's what I think was probably going through our minds at that point. Unfortunately, it, it feels like Lex is kind of stuck in neutral after this. He's going to team with DDP at fall brawl and defeat Randy Savage and Scott Hall. He gets a win by DQ over Scott Hall at Halloween Havoc and with uh, Zabisco as the special guest referee and six is going to interfere and that causes the DQ. And then he loses at Starcade to buff Bagwell when the NWO helps buff. And it's interesting to think about how this year started and what a big part of all of it Lex was. And then we finished the year with a loss to buff Bagwell. And, and that's no, not to disparage buff at all, but I think it could have, we could have easily sort of fantasy booked another version of things where Luger winds up in the main event or real darn close. Uh, but instead here he is, um, but gosh, what a return on investment you've gotten just a couple of deal, just a couple of years into this thing. And you know. He beat Hulk Hogan for the title on the hundredth nitro. It's a moment that people will talk about forever, but it's probably, I don't think you or him would have said, well, in three months at Starcade, our biggest or second biggest show of the year, I'll lose to buff Bagwell. Just, you know, that's one way of looking at it. And that's one way of framing it. Another way of looking at it was first of all, he lost to the NWO of which Marcus Bagwell was the the instrument of the day, right? It was, it was Lex Luger against the NWL just happened to be Mark Bagwell, but we wanted to get Mark Bagwell over. We wanted to elevate Mark Bagwell. How do you get a guy over and elevate someone? And Bagwell was pretty over. I mean, he wasn't a main eventer really, um, but we wanted him to be. And how do you get a guy to that level if he doesn't beat somebody that's important, Lex was really important at that time. And I'm not even saying that, saying that as a justification, but there's two schools of thought, you know, one is what's the best match and the best booking versus how do you use someone who you've now built up for all the reasons you just laid out, you know, where he started, where he ended, beating Hulk Hogan, 100th episode. How do you use that person to elevate other people? And Bagwell was targeted to get elevated. So I, you could say it was a bad creative idea, and you'd probably be, be right in many respects. But in other respects at that time, it may have been maybe not the best decision, but not the worst either. It's, uh, it's fun to go back and take a look at careers, you know, one or two years at a time. Uh, let's do a few questions here. This one's from Michael. He wants to know, was the golden era of Lex Luger from 95 to 97? I feel like he was white hot in 1997 was Lex's best year of his career. What do you think of that, Eric? Well, it's easy for me to say, I agree with that mostly because I wasn't familiar with early Lex Luger. Right. You know what I mean? Before I even got to WCW. So 
you know, I think from Lex Luger's perspective, um, and maybe we'll talk to talk to him about this one, maybe get an interview from him when he's at Sarcast at the end of July, end of July for all, with all of us. I, I don't know, man, for me, easy to say. Absolutely. You know, wrestling was a much higher level of success. It was a peak of the industry it was a peak of wrestling history, the peak of wrestling in history, really at that point in terms of total viewers and, and being kind of a pop culture phenomenon and Lex was playing at the highest of levels during that highest of level of, of professional wrestling on television. So that's obvious, but you know, I don't know, maybe Lex Luger, break, Lex Luger really getting his first big break in the business and some of his, his first matches as a part of the horseman or whatever, maybe from his perspective, that was it. But I don't know, man, easy for me to say though. Yeah, absolutely. 97, 98, just because of the situation. Adam Leeson says, how pleased with Eric with how well he managed to keep Lex's surprise uh, appearance on the first Nitro. So, uh, you know, that's worth mentioning. Nobody keeps surprises anymore, right? Like everything leaks out. There's no such thing as a genuine surprise. Or it doesn't feel like it, but man, you guys, it was so, it was so important. Yeah. It was so important because had it leaked especially within the dirt sheet universe, so many people. And again, you know, what percentage of the audience, you know, did the dirt sheet community represent fairly insignificant, but it would have set the tone people. Some people, as they still do to this day, when things leak, start making judgments about an outcome of a situation before they, before they actually see it. Right. How many people make up their mind? What's a good idea creatively because they heard about it because it got leaked or in some cases it's promoted. You know, I think one of the reasons, one of the things that some people do in the industry today is knowing shit's going to leak because you just start promoting stuff in advance. And I've never believed in that because while some people may get excited about what you're promoting and look forward to it, more often than not, people start making up their minds or in some cases, you know, debating on social media, whether something's a good idea or a bad idea before they even see it. Mm -hmm. And that would have definitely been the case with Lex. Had that leaked, it would have been all over the place to the extent that it could be before social media. And people would have shit on the idea before they saw it happen. And that would have taken away from the magic of it. It, it would have taken away from the, the opportunity had it leaked. So the fact that it didn't leak, I was, it also was one of the things that initially made me go, huh, this guy's what he said he would be because had it leaked, my first thought would have been fucking Luger. Damn it. We had this, you know, cause it was typical for talent. I'm not saying Lex in particular, I'm not accusing Lex of ever having leaked things before. I don't think he was that guy. Others were. But had that leaked, I would have been, I would have wondered. I would have had to wonder. Yeah. And the fact that it didn't was another reason I initially started feeling pretty good about Lex. Adam Leeson has a great follow-up question. What holds Luger back from being spoken about in the same breath as Sting, Hulk Hogan, or Bill Goldberg in WCW? Uh, maybe consistency. You know, um, each one of them were unique. I mean, 
and their their journeys. I keep using the same word. I apologize for that, but their paths, another word, uh, in WCW were all different. You know, Sting was, shall we say, homegrown talent that emerged and had some phenomenal matches with Ric Flair. Ric Flair made Sting. Ric Flair put Sting on the map. Who better to put Sting on the map than Ric Flair at that time? And and Sting was so loyal to WCW. He stayed with WCW to the very end at a very, very high level. And he was a very beloved character. You know, Hulk Hogan came in with his backstory and his history and, and the equity that he brought in, but he wasn't necessarily loved when he first got there, right? And part of that was the... WCW, WWF kind of North and South war, if you will, even amongst wrestling fans, hardcore WCW fans were kind of anti WWE and obviously vice versa. Hulk Hogan came in and it was kind of a, it was a 60, 40, 70, 30 kind of thing for Hulk Hogan initially because wow, it's Hulk Hogan, but that didn't last long. Did it? No, It, it, it started wearing thin and wearing out. After about six or eight months, it became obvious that we were swimming upstream with that red and yellow character. And it wasn't until Hulk Hogan kind of changed the world, not only WCW, but had such a dramatic impact on the product itself by turning heel that people started having a different feeling about Hulk Hogan. It was the impact that he brought and that he had on WCW that brought him to that level. Bill Goldberg, same as Sting in a way. Homegrown came up from within. We followed Bill Goldberg's journey, not from the outside arriving into WCW, which is an interesting journey. Don't get me wrong, but Goldberg's journey was right here in front of us. We saw it, his first step. It's like watching, you know, a kid grow up, you know, you'd see that first step. Oh, he took his first step. Oh, he said, daddy, he said, mommy, Oh, we got to watch that with Bill Goldberg. That changes the way people feel about his impact. And Bill Goldberg had a tremendous impact on WCW. But everybody's kind of path and the way they're viewed is looked at differently. And I think with Lex, because he was in, he was out. And then he came back, and we're not too sure about him, but now we really dig him. Um that kind of roller coaster ride maybe is one of the reasons, but he definitely should be. He had a tremendous, tremendous impact on WCW. Jim Wagner wants to know you said if Hogan wasn't the third man, it was going to be Sting. Was there ever an idea of Lex being the third NWO member? And do you think he could have pulled it off? No, on both, on both counts. There was never any consideration for it. And no, I don't think he could have pulled that off. Because he wasn't, uh, I hate to say this because I think so highly of Lex, but it, it is what it is. He wasn't as over as a baby face as he would have needed to have been in order for that turn to have the impact that it had. If Lex Luger would have taken that role, consciously or subconsciously, I think a lot of people would have felt like I saw that coming. I knew he really wasn't what he pretended to be. You can't have that. If you really want a heel turn to, to really, really matter, you can't see it coming. You can't felt like you knew it was going to happen. And Lex would have had a hard time overcoming that. 
Well, I know what's going to happen next week. We're going to be watching Boston Nitro. It's uh, the build for Great American Bash from June of 1997. It's also going to feature the announcement that it's going to be Hulk Hogan and Dennis Rodman teaming together at Bash at the Beach. We're also going to feature Lex Luger against Hulk Hogan, Randy Savage getting fined by J.J. Dillon and challenged by DDP. Alex Wright will be taking on Chris Jericho. Akira Hokutu will be in action. Dean Malenko will be defending the U.S. title against Jeff Jarrett. Uh, and of course there's flair and Piper in the main event against the outsiders. A lot of fun stuff. We're going to be talking about 1997 in Boston for nitro, the good old days, Eric, the good old days. I feel like we should have a theme song, you know, kind of like all in the family, right? Remember that they had a great old theme song. Oh yeah. We need one of those. I'm for it because you know, that's what we're about here on the show was nostalgia talking about the good old days and, uh, we're going to be reliving those at Starcast end of July. We get things kicked off on the 29th with the roast of Ric Flair stick around on the 30th though, because we've got a who's who doing meet and greets and one incredible panel after another. I can't believe we've got Bret Hart breaking down his match with Davey boy Smith 30 years later. We're going to have Brian Danielson with us. We're going to have a, a horseman reunion. The first one with these guys on the stage and realistically the last time with these guys on the stage. And then of course, SummerSlam is Saturday night, but Sunday more meet and greets, more panels, including Kevin Nash's new podcast. Click this Mick Foley's new podcast. Foley is pod, but the main event, Eric, I can't believe it. They sold all the seats in three hours and 32 minutes. And all that was announced was Ric Flair's last match. Nothing else has been announced, Eric. We haven't even announced the opponents or opponent. I've said too much. We said it was Ric Flair's last match, and in three hours and 32 minutes, there were no more seats available. What's old is new again, baby. Ric Flair is coming back for one more match with Jim Crockett Promotions. How fun is this, Eric? I, I, I am so, and it's funny because, you know, the audience doesn't know this, but you and I stacked up a couple of weeks of episodes because of travel and things. So there's a lot that's happened since the last time you and I recorded uh, live. And the announcement of Ric Flair's last match happened after we had recorded our last episode Yeah, prior to this one. So I just, I, I'm so happy for Rick. I am so, so happy for Rick. And look, I, you know, I've have friends that are peers in the industry that reached out to me. I'm not going to name them obviously, but reach out. It's like, what the hell is Rick? Not in a good way. You know, what is Rick doing? You know, why, why is he doing this? You know, somebody should talk him out of this. And I'm like, man, no, no, this is a guy in Ric Flair who is going to have an opportunity to have something to work towards. And I've seen his workout, but he's working out like a madman. He looks phenomenal. He's in great shape, but he's working out and he's focused and he's looking forward to that goal of getting in that ring one more time. And, and all that goes along with it, you know, from, from the excitement and probably the nerves, right? It's been a minute since he's done it. He wouldn't be human if he wasn't a little nervous about it, even though he's Ric Flair, he could probably have a better match in his sleep than most people have been able to have in a lifetime, but it's been a minute. And now he's going to come through that curtain and there's going to be that moment that energy is going to hit him in the face. 
their crowd reaction, the love for Ric Flair, all of it is going to be wrapped up in one big giant ball of vibe. And it's going to hit him right between the eyes when he walks through that curtain. And it's going to be the coolest feeling he's had in a long, long time. And then to be able to go out there and having him gotten himself in the shape that he's, he's obviously already in and will be in an even better shape at the time to be able to go out there and have fun. This is just going out there to have fun. And I mean, by having fun, I mean, enjoying the moment and, and treasuring every second, because I think Ric Flair, much like I've had this similar conversation with Hulk Hogan, Hulk Hogan many times and others, you know, sure to varying degrees have said that the most comfortable place they've they can find themselves at they're truly at peace and at home is in that ring because they've spent their entire lives creating that character and perfecting that art and to be able to go out there again and do it one more time i am so happy for rick because not many get a chance and People could say whatever they want. I don't see a lot of people being negative. It's all very positive now. Initially, it was kind of like, eh, mixed. But do you think Mick Jagger and the Rolling Stones tour because they need to? No. They tour because they love to. Yes. They tour because getting on that stage and connecting with that audience and getting hit with that big ball of vibe is something that they can't replace with anything else, and they can still go out and do it. So why not? If you get yourself in shape and you do the things you have to do, no, Ric Flair doesn't need to do this, but he wants to do it. And I can't wait to be there. I want to just get a little taste of that big ball of vibe. I really do. I want to be there when it happens. Bracelets are still on sale. You can still come have a great time with Eric and myself and all our rowdy friends panels. You don't want to miss that. You can't see anywhere else. Tons of other wrestling matches. They've already announced GCW and black label pro. And the rumor is there might be one more, so stay tuned. Uh, but you need to make plans to be in Nashville. Go to starcast.com and you'll see the hotels link. We've got some very special deals on the cheap, cheap for you. They're all airport area hotels too. I want to mention if you're planning to make it the best wrestling weekend of your life, our building is only 3.2 miles from SummerSlam. So you'll be able to have a great time on Friday night and of course Saturday and then hop, skip and a jump and boom, you're at Titan Stadium uh, but most importantly, we're just seven miles from the airport. So we're going to make it easy to navigate and move around and celebrate, uh, Starcast and, and things being back to normal and get you all your pictures and autographs from a who's who of hall of famers, the current stars, but this undercard, Eric, I think you're going to be proud. This is uh, something we're going to start announcing shortly. And I think fans are going to be pretty excited. A lot of first time ever matchups, almost dream matchups, and they're going to be happening at Ric Flair's last match. Uh, of course you can pre-order right now on fight and we're even, uh, giving away pizzas of the canvas from Ric Flair's Ric Flair's last match. Easy for me to say, uh, just go to Ric Flair's last for more information or starcast.com and check us out here next week. Talking all things, 83 weeks. I can't believe this is real, man, but this is the end of the episode and we're watching a 97 nitro. So I'm already pumped. I can't wait till next weekend. So we can do this again. I look forward to it, brother. I appreciate you very much. Thank you. We'll see you guys early and ad-free every single week over at adfreeshows.com and every Monday right here on 83 Weeks with Eric Bischoff. 
John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.